what occurred to me, Shannon? What's that? We could do two weeks worth of shows, more than two weeks worth of shows, just with new coaches in the National Hockey League. <laughs> oh, I know. Bob, trust me, the producer's well aware. And the producer's, uh, the producer's uh, phone book is, uh, is going to work. So, Well, and we, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something with a new coach. Well, he's not a new coach. He's a coach that's been around for quite some time. But he's a new coach <laughs> where he's going. He's the new coach of the Winnipeg uh, Jets. He's Rick Bonus, And he's a very interesting, interesting guy. And um, for those that don't know him, um, we look forward to introducing him to, the, to you. In, in, interesting and approachable. And I think that's the that's the magic of what Rick has has allowed Rick Bonus to stay around the National Hockey League as long as he has. He's interesting and approachable. Well, let's approach him, Rick Bonus. When we come back after these messages, Hi, it's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon. We are back, and um, we are joined by a guy who is going back to a familiar place from which he came. Uh, he played there, he coached there, and now he will be the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Rick Bonus is with us. How are you? Okay. Good morning, guys. Just doing great. Thank you. Well, <laughs> tell me about going back. Um, <laughs> this is a, uh, a reunion with the city of uh, Winnipeg. Uh, you are familiar with it more than most guys who would have taken this job. What does this mean to you? Well, uh, you know, it's probably number three uh, on the list. Um, uh, yeah. When they called me to interview me for the job, uh, it, it certainly piqued my interest because I, I do believe that that team, for whatever reason, that team just lost its weight last year. And it's it's second reason, it's a really good team. I believe that the talent is there to win. So that gets the competitive juices going. And yeah, it is nice to go back to Winnipeg. I worked for the Jets for nine years in every capacity you can imagine. And our daughter was born in Winnipeg. Uh, we had some great years there. We had some really good teams in Winnipeg in the 80s. Uh, we, kept, we, we could beat Calgary in the playoffs. We couldn't get past Edmonton. And I always blame Grant Fuhrer, who I, who I worked with in Phoenix years later. I said, Fuhrer, you were always the difference against those guys. He was, but we have, listen, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a really good team and, um, I'm looking forward to the challenge of getting that team back on track. And certainly for the winter, the city of Winnipeg and the province of Manitoba, we're, we're excited about everything that this job has to entail for us. Just curious when you left Dallas, did you think you'd be getting another head coaching job this quickly? No, I, I really, I didn't think so. I didn't know. I certainly didn't rule it out. Um, but I didn't know when I, when I left Dallas, like I didn't ask for an extension. They didn't offer one. So, you know, it's, it's time to move on. Uh, I had a couple of other opportunities around the league to, to go in as the associate coach and, and help either a younger coach out or help a, a team rebuild. And I really wasn't in, uh, at my age, I really wasn't excited about doing that again. I've done a, a lot of that. Um, so when this, when Winnipeg actually called, that got the competitive juices going again. And again, it's, it's for the reasons that we had just talked about, but I, I wasn't sure if I'd get another opportunity. I wasn't going to pursue anything. As I mentioned at the end of the year, if something comes along that piques my interest, I'm certainly going to listen. And this job obviously did. Both of these teams, the one you left and the one you are going to have a similarity in that neither one of them played well last year. Both of them were disappointments. What do you do when you go into a situation like that, Rick? What's so, the primary objective? Now, so what do you mean Dallas was disappointed? How do you, why do you say that? <laughs> you don't think so? Had, the team had 98 points. Pretty well, good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I thought that the Dallas, that was a Dallas team that had a chance to win, to win okay. it all. And they did not. And, um, Obviously, someone else felt kind of the same way, given that yeah. you're now in Winnipeg. Yeah, so, I agree. But um, I, don't think, I don't think that team, uh, we, we had trouble scoring. There's no question about it. Did the team underachieve? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a debate. Uh, Fair I, enough. I think the team did underachieve at 98 points. Uh, and listen, we were supposed to have a Ben Bishop in the net. Didn't have him. Dovey mm -hmm. got hurt. All of a sudden, we're using a kid in the net that's supposed to be in the minors for the full year, and he 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 was outstanding. There's no question. 
he he certainly wasn't the problem. He he helped the team become a better team. But the, the way the team was going to be built in training camp and the way the team was built at the end of the year are two different things. And certainly no one saw Robinson step up and score. Robertson scored 41 goals, right? No one thought Rupe would be able to do what he did. No one thought Pavelski would have a career year. So uh, the team did not underachieve. We, 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 listen, we went into overtime in game seven with a better team in Calgary, and we had some great opportunities. We just didn't score. So... I, I, that that would be a debate that can go on and on. So, All right, I, I'm just trying to get a comparison between the two as you go into this well, and start okay. looking at this. So Winnipeg let's talk game. about that for a minute. Okay? okay, so when we went into Winnipeg a couple of years ago, we walked out of those rinks saying, wow, that team was tough to play against. That was right. a tough game. We never felt that way against Winnipeg last year. And against when I say they lost their way, that's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. It was not that the talent level, it's just somehow the team lost its way and it didn't compete uh, as hard as it had in previous years. So I think that was a difference. I think the D Dallas, we competed. We made it hard. We were, we were, we were good defensively. Uh, we just felt, we never felt leaving Winnipeg and playing the Jets that it was the same team that we had seen prior to that prior to the going into Winnipeg in the last couple of years. So that team, again, it lost its way. Is the talent there? Yeah. Listen, it starts with the goalie. Connor Hellebuck is good top mm -hmm. five goalie. We got to get, we got to get that team doing a better job playing in front of him so he can be, get back in the top five in the league. And, and the, the offense is there. We can, we, that team has got to tighten up and, and become harder to play against, uh, which it was a couple of years ago. You know, just just a quick thought about the Dallas scenario, and and both of you, I th I think I agree with both of you in this one, simply because I expected, and I think you did too, Rick. You expected your Dallas Stars team to score more. You had you had big names. Uh, now let's face it, Tyler Sagan was was he ever a hundred percent last year? Uh no, not really. Yeah, and I think we we always expected your teams because when you when you displayed speed, holy smokes, you were you were impressive, but it, you just you, you couldn't finish very well. I, and I think we all were shocked that sometimes your players were un, unable to finish as yeah, as well as most that. people expected. Our numbers went up in terms of creating offense and and spending a little bit more time in the ozone. The analytics kind of were had improved from the year before the, the finish didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the, on the Winnipeg side, uh, and I, and I do a bit of work in Winnipeg, um, the, uh, the exit interviews for the players talked about, and they were quite open about, uh, about culture and about dressing room and about, um, camaraderie. Um, have you talked to many of the players, uh, since you took over and, and do you get the same sense? No, I get the sense that some of the things that were said were were mis misunderstood okay. or taken the wrong way. I've had some great conversations with Mark Shifley. He he's been outstanding. He he really has. He's all in. Um, so I know what he said at the end of the year. He wanted to go in and see where the team was going. Well, there's there's if you're not there and you don't hear the tone of the words, is it was it antagonistic or was it inquisitive? Like there's a big difference there. Sure, Same sure. words, but the tone of the words would lead you to different impressions. So the talks I've had with him, Blake Wheeler, uh, Josh Morrissey, these guys, Connor, they're all in. And they're all saying the same thing, that the culture isn't nearly as bad as it was perceived outside of the locker room. They all get along. They all know they lost their way last year. They all know it went this way instead of keeping, the, keeping it tight together. They're well aware of that. But nor are they pointing fingers and blaming this guy or that guy or that guy. They say we all underachieved. We're all at fault. And and they but they're all anxious to get back on the ice in September and prove that last year was a, just a bad year that it just went array on them. So um, I, I'm encouraged, not discouraged, by talking to the players. They feel that it's a much tighter group than anyone else gives it credit for. There was a couple of weddings and there's 12, 14 guys showing up at the weddings. Uh, they, they hang out more together than people give them credit for. So I know there are some nasty things being said about the team. I don't get ever, and I was inquisitive about that. It's just like you are, 
So I had to talk to every player. Okay, tell me what was going on there. I'm not, I wasn't in the room, wasn't around the team. I saw your team from the outside, didn't feel, get the feeling that it was a tight group, but they're all telling me the same thing. And now, obviously, we've got to go to camp and prove that and pull it back together. And that'll be the big challenge from the players and, and the coaching staff. We've got a whole new staff coming in with a lot of experience. And it's going to be our job as coaches to pull that group back together, get them on the same page, get them, give them some direction. And, 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 and then listen, the play's got to take over and they got to stop talking about it. But I do, I, I understand what you're saying. And I get it. And I had my same concerns that you have that you brought up and they've been relieved because of my conversations with all the players. I'm intrigued by what a coach does when you face this kind of situation. I don't know if you ever have before with a team that is, um, is underachieved in one particular season, and yet the consensus seems to be that it was just one of those things. They just couldn't get it together for the year. What do you do now? Well, we, we, we address that, and then we give them, we come in with the, listen, we have different voices now, right? We're going to get them to play a little different style. We're going to get the, we have a big part of our job, and I've been talking to the coaches about it, is to get, make sure that, we spend a lot of time with each player and as a group getting that culture, getting that everyone buy into get everyone on the same page so that it's not a me identity team. It's a us, it's a we, and we've got to change that me to a we. And uh, that's, that'll be our challenge. Now, how do you do that? It's a lot of communication and it's a, it's a lot of coaching and it's a lot of just getting them, giving them direction every day of this is our identity. This is how we're going to play. And then when you see guys kind of drifting or you lose a little uncertain, then it's up to us as coaches to bring them back and help them get back on, on the same page as the rest of the team. There's a lot of work ahead of us. This is not mm -hmm. going to be easy. I get that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here in August talking about it. There's, and I've been telling the coaches and the players, there's a lot of work ahead of us to do what you're talking about is to get them back on the same page. It won't be easy, but it's a challenge that we all want and we're all looking forward to. And that, and that's, what's encouraging for me. I spent a lot of time around Pat Quinn for decades and he believed uh, that the dressing room itself was a sanctuary for the players and coaches really weren't supposed to be in there very much. What's your philosophy? Well, you, you got to, it is the player's room and you've got to get the right leadership group and you've got to give them a, a lot of leeway. Okay. This is your room. And so those will be individual meetings I'll have with them. There'll be meetings with the leadership group, meeting with the players, but that room is their room. And I, they've got to feel that they can go in there and they can, not necessarily criticize each other, but help each other and making sure that everyone's on the same page and that we're all working together and we're all working together in the same direction for the same cause and that we all care about the outcome of where we're going. So it is their locker room. There's no question about it, but it's up to us as coaches again to help help build that that atmosphere in there that they feel comfortable enough to talk go in there and talk to each other and support each other and push each other in a very positive and way and in the right direction. With Rick Bonus, I head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. So you were hired uh, what about a week or so before the the draft? Yes, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and I know, look at, I know coaches don't have a huge role necessarily in shaping the team. You more or less are given the players and you try and do something with them which is not to say you don't have a voice, but um, the Jets did very little during the offseason. Why do you think that is? Do you think it is because the consensus was, as you suggested, that this was a pretty good team that just lost its way? It's a, the management and the scouts have worked very hard in the offseason. I do know that. I was with them, spent a lot of time with them in Montreal at the draft in trying to plug holes and they they did their best in trying to sign a couple of guys we lost out in some bidding wars so that that's going to happen but again the consensus was yeah this is a better team do we need to plug some holes it all depends how the team looks when the season starts and as the season goes along what adjustments you have to make with your personnel but um they know there's enough players that did not have a good year and that the team did not play well enough to, to not, not panic, 
and uh, and, and and overreact and try and, and try to change everything. Um, again, a lot of it goes back to those conversations of with the players, but management and the scouts they work very hard. They know the areas that they try to improve. They did everything they could, um, and now we're going to rely on some young. At this point, we're going to rely on some young players stepping up and filling those voids, and see where it goes from there. But the nucleus of a good team is there, and it starts with our goalie. Mm-hmm. And we all know Connor is one of the tops in the league. And now, as a team, we just have to play a lot better in front of him. And if it means putting some younger players to fill the holes, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah, are you fast enough? Pardon me. Is your team fast enough? This is a team of this is a game of speed now. It's a game uh, of speed. You, and do you feel you're fast after, enough? That kid after I get on the ice with them. Okay. I don't know it that well, John. Like, yeah. So, you know, you can watch all the video you want of the team. Yeah. And the question you always have to ask yourself as a coach is, is that player doing what he's supposed to do or is he making a mistake? And unless you're in the room listening to the coaches give them direction, you don't know the answer to that, right? You don't know if that guy, maybe he's doing what he's told to do. And or is that guy making a mistake? So until I get on the ice with them actually and, and and see the speed and practices and and giving them some direction, I'm not going to be able to answer that question. Uh, when we start working with them, we're going to find out pretty quick. How much how much video have you you been watching? Uh, this I've summer? watched enough of their games to to know the direction that we as a staff that we want to we want to put this team towards. I think you know the frustration for Jets fans is that when you look at the roster, this is a this is a team that has some really big names on it. You know, Josh Morrissey is a you know has excellent reputation and is assumed to be a, a burgeoning superstar. And there's lots of players like that. You know, Pierre Luc Dubois, the same thing. And so, in in your approach, how do you how do you get those guys to the next level? Well, again, I've had some great talks with Josh, uh, and he's anxious to get better. I mean, he knows he's a really good player. He knows he had a bad year. Things were, didn't go their way last year. We're not going to beat that. Death. He knows right. there's more in the tank. So he, he's going to he's an easy guy to work with. He wants to get better. So does Dubois. And he, he had a great year last year, but he still knows he can improve. So if they have that attitude that they're not coming in with the attitude, well, this is as good as I'm going to be and this accepted. They all want to get better. They all want to improve. So again, we have to, as coaches, we have to help them get to that next level. I get them to understand this is the area that you can improve on. This is where you're really, really good. Keep doing that. These little areas right here, this is what's going to make you a better player and keep pushing you up in, into the upper echelon of the league. So those two guys you mentioned, are, the conversations I've had with them, they're anxious to go out there and prove that they're better than they showed last year. Uh, this is a team that has travel challenges, um, among mm. others. You had one Dallas with Dallas, too. Yeah, that has traveled challenges. Like there's yeah, there's some yeah. there's some challenges around the league. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, you, you can make the argument that those there there are I don't know are those the two franchises with the worst travel schedules um, in in the league? Yeah, maybe. No, it, there's nobody close, right? There's no half right. hour flight. There's no bus trip. There's no train trip anywhere we go. Um, so again. A big part of a coach's job in the league today is managing the schedule and get the travel right and get the days off right and get the practice times right. Like that's a big job for us. And I've gone over the schedule. I've gone over a travel. I put training camp together. We've taken a good look at it. We're going to sit down again. I'm like, we go to Winnipeg the first week of September and we'll go over everything again. But there's a, so you put a plan in place, but everything has to be subject to change. Let's say we have a practice day schedule. You know what? Our team looks tired. Let's give them the day off. Or, you know, there's supposed to be, you know, we, we're planning ahead here on a day off, change the schedule and and and, and give them, get them to practice time. So, and get the travel changed. Now, okay, we're looking tired. Let's stay over tonight instead of traveling home and getting home at two in the morning. Like those things, those are big issues on the teams like that that have a very tough travel schedule, which we do. And you've got to get the practice time right. You've got to get the travel right. You've got to know when to stay over and you've got to know when to give them the day off. And so we'll, we'll, we put a lot of thought into that. 
I would think so. And I, but tell me, take us a little deeper than that. You know, you're, you're with them, you're in the room, you're doing the travel yourself. How does that affect a team? And when does it affect a team? Is it more end of year? It just wears on you or is it a day-to-day thing coach? To me, it's a day-to-day thing. Once you get past that first couple of months, it's a day-to-day thing. And something when those weeks you play four games and six nights and you're traveling, you've got to manage that. You, Those are the th- weeks that can put you behind the eight ball if they're not managed properly. Mm-hmm. If you're traveling when you shouldn't be traveling or you're putting them back on the ice when they shouldn't be put on the ice, those are the things that will have an effect on you as the season goes on, without a doubt. And by the time you hit February and March, if you haven't managed January and February properly, then you're going to be in a, you're going to be behind the eight ball for sure. So those, worse. those are things we've got to manage. We've got to get them right on. And it was worse last year, of course, because of the end of COVID and then the Olympic thing and yeah. the condensed schedule and everything else. So at least you'll have a a more normal schedule this year. Well, how much that helps, I don't know. Does it? Yeah, it, it certainly does. And yeah, hope we we hope there's no curves in the road down with more COVID uh, changes or whatever. But it, it certainly helps. There's no question. You know, um, you two years ago, dare I remind you? Too, it feels like forever ago was was the bubble. Yeah, you know, and you went to the Stanley Cup final with your team. Did your coaching philosophy and how to manage these types of things and manage players change because of the bubble and you were so close to the players all the time? A little bit. Um, yeah, you, you, you did. You, you, we were so enclosed there that you, we were on top of each other all the time, right? Um, but it, we what we did there. I thought we did a really good job of of giving the players their freedom at, at the right time so that they could get together. They couldn't go very far, but we had a nice a room set up that there's ping pong and games and every golf simulators in there. So that, that helped bring the team together a lot. Um, so I think we did a really good staff manage that properly. Um, you know, we, we brought in family videos of, uh, of support and say, you know, come on, dad, we're here to, you know, we're not there with you, but we're here, we're back in Dallas. We're supporting you. Good luck tonight. We did all those things that we possibly could to, to, to just to, just to make it still feel like a tight family, even though we're kind of isolated away from everyone. Uh, and I, and I've, you kind of look, Ricky, we are a family as a team and we do spend a lot of time together and you do have to give them their freedom and you do have to get away from them from as much as you can a little when you, when you can at the right time uh, in terms of the philosophy of how you play. We, we, even in the bubble, we were giving them the right time off. We were practicing at the right time. It was a little easier to manage, especially when we got down to the four teams, it was easier sure. to manage your schedule at that point, but it also reinforced, the two things that I do believe in, and that is managing your schedule and, and giving them the right time off and getting practicing at the right time and, and manage that. And also that we are a family and that we are in this fight together every day and that everyone has to, has to feel part of that, whether, you know, regardless of your minutes, regardless of your role, you've got to feel that you're an important part of that family. When you, um, Sorry. go ahead. Yeah. I was just, just going to ask about, you know, when you got hired in Winnipeg, did you know who your coaching staff was going to be? Did you have a, an idea? I mean, coaches are always ruminating uh, all the time. Well, if I get back in and I'm going to hire this guy or I'm going to hire this guy, did, did you have an idea what your staff was going to look like when you got hired? Yes. I had a very hopeful and I got the staff I wanted. I definitely wanted Scotty O'Neill. Scotty and I, I, you know, it's funny how it goes, but Scotty and I played together in Winnipeg in the early 80s. Whatever the year we dare drafted Dale and Scotty. Uh, then I ended up coaching him in Winnipeg, ended up coaching him in Boston. So Scotty and I have, uh, we've always kept a good rapport. Uh, we've always stayed in communication regardless where he was coaching or I was coaching. We've always stayed close. Brad Lauer and I worked together for three years in Tampa. And I always felt that, you know, if I ever had a head job again, that he would be one of the first guys I would reach out to and hopefully sign him on. We bought uh, Marty Johnson on board. Marty's been coaching in Winnipeg for five years or with the Moose for five years. Heard nothing but great things from him within the organization. Uh, he's gung-ho. He's very detailed. Uh, he's going to bring a lot of energy. Wade Flaherty's done a great job with the goaltender. So I'm very, very happy with the staff. This is the staff 
staff that when we first talked, I was hoping I could put together and it fell into place. Rick Bonus is the head coach of the uh, Winnipeg Jets. We'll come back and chat some more after these messages. It's McCowan, it's Shannon, and it's Rick Bonus, the head coach of the uh, Winnipeg Jets. You know, we talked a little bit here about the things that you've done and what you've looked at over the last couple of months since you got hired um, with the Jets themselves and putting a coaching staff together, looking at the players, looking at what happened last year, talking to all the guys. How much time do you spend with the direct competition, the other teams in your, you know, division, for example? Have you spent much time taking a look around at what the other guys are doing? You watch what they're doing, but being in Dallas uh, for the four years, I got a pretty good feel for this division. This is a tough division. This is the best division in hockey. I know the Metropolitan is tough. This is a tough, tough division. And um, again, having been in Dallas for four years helps a lot um, in our preparation. So I don't have, I'm watching what they're doing and the changes they're making to their team. I know their coaches. I don't, there's not going to be any style changes from the teams that are in our division, the top teams. Uh, and I know all the personnel well enough. I really just kind of focused on us and it's more importantly about what we do. Uh, and again, the changes that we have to make to how we play, um, they're not going to, they don't have to make a lot of changes. The teams that made the playoffs, they're all good teams. They're all well coached and they're all really well balanced teams. They're going to play their style. We have to change our style a little bit. We have to get a far more commitment to keeping the puck out of our zone. Um, so the biggest change from all the teams in our division is from the Winnipeg Jets and how we play. But I don't. Do, I know the I know the division very very well. It, it, is Central Division hockey different than other other divisions? Well, you've got Colorado that can just they're they're so intimidating, right? They're so fast. Uh, St. Louis is, I really like the changes they made to their team last year. They made some, they know they brought inside the, the Nevis, they picked up their speed in their offense. Uh, Nashville make they man, they're hard to play against. They're physical, they're forecheck very, very hard, and they're going to make it a tough, tough game for you every time they play. Dallas is tough to play against. Uh, they are, there's a good, that's a, it is a good team, and uh, they're well balanced. Uh, Pete's going to do a great job going in there. So um, I, again, we we just we just know what we're at. Minnesota, listen, they're I know I know they're they're tied a little bit with the head cap, but Billy Guerin's done a great job there. Dean's a great coach. So all those teams and you know Chicago, they're, they're on a rebuild. Arizona's on a rebuild. They're still going to be good teams. Every team in our league is a good team can win any any given night. But uh, they're the other teams that we talked about, they're not going to make a lot of changes to the way they play. They don't have to. They've been successful doing what they're doing. We have to change the way we play. We have to change the way we approach the game. So tell me, and I mean, this is a coaching thing. This is not necessarily specific for you, but just as a coach, how much time do you spend in preparation for a game on what the other guys do and how much of it is on what your team does? Most of it's on us. It's how it is, we, huh? right? It is absolutely. We'll have a pre scout. We'll know their tendencies, um, but it, it, I always put more focus on us and how we play and the things that we have to do to be successful in that game, or things we have to do in practice to get better. I always keep the majority of the focus on on how our how we play all about us. You start getting distracted and worrying too much about the opposition, you're going to miss something on your team. You got to spend most of your time worrying about your team. Every player on your team, every line, the defensive pairings, the goalie especially teams, there's so much involved in coaching in our league today because the league is so well coached that you better keep your focus on your team. You start worrying too much about the opposition, you're going to lose the little details of your team. And then you, then the little details become big issues. So we keep the focus. In. I'll have one of the coaches do all the pre-scout and that'll be his big part of his job. You're looking after the opposition. You t- you show us what we need to be prepared for. Show us and talk to us about what we need to do to be successful. And then we, we will focus mostly on our team and how we play. Uh, and again, I, I'm a big believer in that, man. You, It's a lot of communication with your team to get them on the same page and to keep them together. Do you want the, you- Do you want the game to be played the way you want? Is that your one of your objectives? In other yes. words, you want your team to play your game yeah. 
as well as they possibly can. And yeah. whatever the other guys do, they do. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. We, well, you just got to be aware of their tendencies, their strengths. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah, but no, mostly how we play. This is what we're going to do. This is how we play. This is our identity. Let's go. Uh, what's your role on special teams, Rick? I mean, who's going to be, uh, who, who's in charge of that? Or are you going to be uh, be the, the the puppet master? No, the uh, I believe that your whole staff gets together and analyzes penalty kill, analyzes specialty team, uh, power play, goalie out, goalie in. Uh, we'll all be on this. We'll all be on the same page. Scotty and Neil will be looking after the penalty kill and doing those presentations. Brad Lauer will be looking after the power play in those presentations. But I'll, you know, I'll have the final say. But I. I want us, I'll be more concerned about our team five on five with my presentations with the team. Um, with they, they will also, well, as times you can't have just one voice all the time. You get right. two after a while, right? So I like having different voices. Arnie's done a great job with that uh, penalty kill in Washington, wherever he's been. Uh, Brad Lauer's done a great job with the power plays. So uh, I'm bringing them in to do a job and they're going to have their freedom to do the job that as long as we are all on the same page, which we will be. There are coaches. You know, uh, Sorry, John. I, I was just going to say, you, you know, you're, you, we're all about the same age, uh, and this is a young man's sport. Um, you know, and Brad, Brad's been around. I'm saying <laughs> we're, we're old. old. That's what he said. He's the alternative. I know that. Yeah, but Brad's been around young guys, right? And his time uh, in in coaching the Oil Kings and and doing everything that he did in Edmonton uh, on, on the, in the Western League. How important is it to have a voice like that that talks to younger players? I I think in today's game, you're right about Brad, and that's when you know again he regardless uh, he was I wanted him on my staff anyways. But you, you have to be able to communicate today. So a guy like Arnie, Arnie's great with young players, right? I, I, I love working with young players. So even regardless of the age, in today's game, communication is absolutely huge with you from your coaching staff. Does it help that Brad is coming out of junior? Uh, absolutely it does. But I put a lot of focus on all the coaches talking to the players every day. Even it's just, hey, how are you doing? Everything all right? Talking. That communication in today's game with the younger players, absolutely paramount to any success you're going to have. And so take the age factor out of it. Somehow as a coach, you've, you've got to know your players and you've got to learn to relate to them. They're not going to change for right. They're coming in. They're totally, this generation is totally different than the gener- couple of generations ago. It's up to the coach to adapt and learn how to communicate with this young generation. It helps Brad. There's no question, but I've always taken great pride in being able to communicate with these young players. It's probably why I've lasted as long as I have, uh, regardless of your comment. on <laughs> hey, hey, You've got to learn to communicate, man. It's what it is. Ricky, well, it's pot calling kettle black. I mean, come on. Now. <laughs> hey, you know, you know what is interesting? Young players keep you young. Remember that now. Their music, <laughs> not big on their music. I get it. But <laughs> my parents didn't like my music either. So we got it. Yeah, but there's, there's an interesting conundrum here that, that to kind of try and figure out. And I know this is part of what you have to do on a daily basis is this communication thing. You know, 20, 30 years ago, well, when you started coaching, let's say, Players didn't come in in shape the way they do now. The players weren't as good coming out of junior or as ready for the NHL as they are now. And yet at the same time, on the, or on the other side of it, is they are far more individuals, far more willing to give you an opinion on something. Sure. Um, they're not as inclined to just do what they're told, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir, which was sort of, I mean, I... Uh, to some extent, when you played, that's sort of what it was like, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not know, like that anymore. Yeah. But, you know, I, if you go back to when I first got into coaching and when I did late in my career, when I decided, you know, I want to coach when I'm done playing, I, I made the commitment to myself then you coach the way you wanted to be coached. And I, I, I was, I wasn't a very good player. And I get that. But I, I always remember a conversation. I, I went in after one game where I, I sat on the bench the whole game. And I asked the coach, you know, give me something that you're not liking or that I can work on to get better. And so I can play. 
He says, uh, and all he said was, well, you, you know, you have to work harder. That was so lame. I, that's all I had was a workout. <laughs> that's all I had. So I'm looking at him saying, okay, that, that, you know, all right, fine. That's what you got for me. But I left that saying, man, if when I coach, I'm going to have if somebody ask me a question. I'm going to give them an honest answer. They may not like it. And you have these uncomfortable conversations with players. But I, I decided at that point, if I coach, there's going to be open, there's going to be more communication than what I just got. And I'm going to coach the way I wanted to be coached. So, which means you got to talk to players, which means you got to tell them, you got to give them something when they ask you, what can I do to be better? You have to give them something. Um, and again, if it's an uncomfortable conversation for the player, that's what it is. And even with the young players today, you are having an uncomfortable conversation. You've got to do this better. They've never been told some of these things that, you know, they've all been given the ice time. Well, now you have to earn the ice time, even though they're better prepared mentally and physically coming into the league. There's no question. All the minor hockey league coaches, the junior coaches, the college coaches, they're doing a great job preparing these guys. But it's still the National Hockey League. It's still the best league in the world. You just don't walk in and be given something. You still have to have that feeling that you have to earn that ice time. So as a coach, we have to say, we need you to do this better so you can you you can keep your minutes up um, and, and be an important part of the team. They don't walk into the – they're not – walking into this league, perfect players. The last perfect player this league saw was Nicky Lidstrom. And when he retired, there is no more perfect players. And there's some great players, but they can all work a little bit on different things to make them better, especially the younger players. And they're again, they've been given everything. They're, that's the other thing with this generation. They've been given more because- Sure they, they have. Yeah, right, they have. So now they feel entitled. Well, now you, as a coach, we've got to get them. You've got to do this better. You, you, you can be a lot better here. And it, maybe it's the first time they're hearing those things. And some of it is you have to compete harder um, in these certain situations. But that goes back to us and the communication with the younger players and just giving them something specific that they have to do better um, to, to, to not to get better. It goes back to Morrissey and do what we just talked yeah. about. We have to give them a couple of things to make them better players. And um, so, yeah, the younger players today, no question, they're better coming in, but they're not perfect players. And they have to, they have to learn that there's, they have to work in certain things to get better so they can keep get improving and be, keep getting be a better player. How, how, how many times does a player push back and ask why? Yeah, I'm going to ask the same question. I, I think, yeah, okay. That's a very good question, a lot. This is yeah. why you have to be very clear with what you're what you're telling them. They do okay. Why? It's not like they're being competitive about it. They're not. No. Why? I want to know why. Okay. This is why, and that's why again. That goes back to our ability as a coach, as coaching staff, to communicate with them. What's your relationship like with a player today compared to twenty years ago? Do you are you are you more of a friend, or are you more of the boss? Um, you walk a fine line there, and I, I don't know at this because of my age. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like more of a father figure sometimes, and I'm, I'm old enough to be Mayor Heiskin's grandfather, really. Right? Well, I guess so. I kind of take that, I take a lot of pride in that. That you know, I want to have an impact not just them as, as hockey players, but as people. And help them grow to be a, a good a good a good person and a good husband and a good father. Like I, I, I take pride in that, and um, I want to have an influence in their in their personal life off uh, off the away from the ring. Yeah. I want them to become better players, yeah. But I want them to become good people and good persons and good teammates and good parents and and good father and good role models. I try to have an impact on that. Now, it doesn't always work, obviously. But I do take pride in, in having a positive impact on, on a player's life. And, and that doesn't just mean hockey. How does that change from your, I mean, your time as an assistant, like in, whether Vancouver or Tampa or any of those other places? How does that change uh, assistant coach to head coach? Well, I just think it, I never looked at it that way as an assistant coach. Or head. I try to have the same rapport with the players regardless of my yeah. title. I never let the title uh, – May make me approach a player differently. 
I just think if you're a coach. Go, you, you, you've got something to say to a player. Go say it to him. Help him as much as you can. So I never got beat up with the okay. I'm the head coach. I'm supposed to this the assistant. Coach. I'm just coaching the way I think I should coach. What they need that particular day, whether it's the assistant, the associate, or the head. There's a job to do. Just do it. The external perspective on that, though, coach, is that a player will go to an assistant and consider him more of a friend, a yeah. closer thing than the head coach. And you, you know think what? That's so, not true. I don't want to cut you off there, but the certain personalities, yeah, that's true. That so we, that's what goes back. You got to know your players, and mm-hmm. certain certain guys need to know. Okay, you can't cross this line with the head coach. Other uh, guys, you can't. You can open up a little bit more. That goes back to your ability to to understand your players, know your players. Are they more comfortable sometimes? Are they intimidated by the role of the or the title? Yeah, probably a little bit more than I am, right? So that's a barrier I try to break down. And then I realize, okay, this guy does need to know who the coach head coach is. This guy doesn't. He's the same way regardless of the, who he's talking to. Some guys are more guarded talking to the head coach. I try to break that down as best I can so that they're as open with me as they are with the assistant coaches. And All right. So let me ask you this. Yeah. So let's, there's a hypothetical player out there and he has a particular thing that you want him to do. Are you more inclined to have that conversation with him or are you more inclined to have one of your assistant coaches have that conversation? That first conversation will come from me. And then, okay, this is what we talked about. And I'll, I'll have these conversations with every player prior to the season, kind of what is and what isn't acceptable play and behavior, all those things. Okay. Um, that's come. So that first conversation will come from me. Maybe the second conversation comes from me. But then after that, I, I'll go to the, okay, listen, this is what we've talked about. I need you to show them this. I need you to talk to them about this. I need you to get hard on them. I need you to be softer on them. So, it, it, but the initial conversations will come from me. And as the season wears on, how many one-on-ones do you have with your guys? A lot. You do? Whatever, whatever is necessary, right? You, you, you could be on a winning streak. And you see some guys, you see guys, some guys slip, you got to bring them in. You, you have, yeah. to have a lot of one-on-ones. And even if it's on the ice after practice, during practice, before practice, video, no video. You don't need to see video. What you need to do is this. You know it. I know it. And the, most players will just say, yeah, you're right. And they'll agree. If they need to see it, then they see it from either me or one of the assistants. But that's that's why I love the staff that I have with, with Marty and Wade and, and, and Lau and, and Arnie. Like, they're all great communicators. And you have to have that in your staff today. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I got I to gotta tell you, Rick, I admire your passion for the profession. Um, particularly one last year, there were 13 coaching changes in the National Hockey League at one level or another, whether it be during the season or after the season. You were one of those guys. Um, do you ever turn to your wife or does she turn to you and say, enough's enough? <laughs> I keep telling Judy, when I retire, she's going to miss, miss it a lot more than I am. She never misses a game, right? She's been through this whole thing with me. But um, listen, there was years when we left Ottawa, when we got fired in Ottawa. I always sat the family down that, that this is years ago now, obviously. And, uh, I, you know, I said, to them, okay, is it time you wanted your dad to do something else so we don't have to move? And it was, you know, no dad, you're a coach. This is our hockey. This is our life. This is what we do. Uh, I, I'll never forget this story that when, when I got fired in Ottawa and we, we, we were going to the island, join the Islanders. Uh, I was driving my family down and it was New Year's Eve and I had this massive guilt panic come over me. And I looked at you, I said, what am I doing? What are we doing? These kids now we're, I got to move again with everything. There was a little voice in the back from Ricky. It's okay, dad, we're a hockey family. So it's, it, they were a big part of it. Now, if they ever came to me and said, well, dad, you know what? Maybe you should do something else. I don't know what I would have done. There was no plan B, right? <laughs> so I don't know what I would have, I would have come up with something. But in our life, in a hockey life, not just my life, when our, your kids are born into it, and that's the only life they know, it's a normal life. Now, from an outsider looking in saying, God, they moved again. They got fired again. And they're looking at our life saying, that's crazy. How can you keep doing that? 
from the inside, your family, that's the only life they know. Like yeah. dad's mm-hmm. home all summer. Dad's got games tonight. And that's, that's a normal, normal life to them. And, but again, if you took a 15 year old and threw them into our league and our lifestyle, man, they, they wouldn't know how to deal with it. But when they're born into it and that's the only life they know, it's, it's normal as, as abnormal as with 13 coaching fire and changes and all that, as abnormal as that is to the outside world, yeah. it's the only world we know. It's a normal lifestyle. And all my kids, uh, like my daughter now works for the National Predators. She's the director of fan development and, and minor hockey. Ryan is now the assistant general manager for the Senators. My oldest son, Ricky, worked in the media relations department for with Detroit and Columbus. And he got he, he's the one that got fed up. Okay, Dad, I don't need to deal with hockey anymore. Uh, he took a different job. But his wife is the vice president of sweet and ticket sales for the Avalanche. So our whole family is involved in the National Hockey League. And it's because it's a normal life it the lifestyle that we put our kids through with all the guilt that i felt of making the move hasn't had one imp- negative impact on them and they are ready to move and take any challenges on and i'm very very proud of all of them well but you but hey listen and that week uh, that first week of july last week of june you know when you're getting the winnipeg jo- job and, and ryan's getting the job in ottawa uh, just remember he got a management job he's not a coach you know, he's, he went down, he went down the smart path. Right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> See, he's a lot smarter than his father, right? He, he saw the crap. I would have been, oh, I'm not going to coach. I'll get, I'll get into management. Give him credit yeah. for that. And Ricky was smart enough to get in the media relations side sure. of things. And that's a lot safer than anything. So, <laughs> Well, we got to get out of here. But, uh, you know, I was going to ask you as kind of a final thought, you know, if you didn't coach, what would you do? But you already answered that question for me. You have no damn idea. I'm not smart enough to do anything else. So let's, let's leave it at that. Well, uh, you're very smart as a hockey coach. And uh, we wish you great success in, uh, in Winnipeg uh, and hopefully a, a long-term tenure there. Uh, and we thank you very much for taking some time for us today. We hope somewhere down the road we'll have a chance to chat again. Hope Thanks, so. Rick. Look forward to it. I always enjoy your time with you, our time with together. So enjoy Thanks, the rest of your summer, guys. You Good too. Time. Rick Bonus, we'll Thanks. come back with more after this. Uh, we are back and we thank Rick Bonus very much for uh, uh, joining us. He's got a real challenge in Winnipeg. Um, you can certainly look at it as a team that lost its way and now under him mm-hmm. will try and find its way back to where it was. Or you can look at it as a team that is maybe, I would get hard to say too old, but maybe has peaked. And even a Rick bonus, as good as he is as a coach and as a person won't be able to fix it. I think, I, I think your age may not be the way to approach uh, no, I agree. this club, but, but you know, they, they have, they've been more successful with this same group the, the last few years. And then as it, it, it tailed off in the last 18 months. Um, and now you have the concerns of, you know, contracts, Pierre-Luc Dubois contracts coming up, Mark Scheifele's contracts coming up, Connor Hellebuck's not that far away from having his contract um, expire. Uh, are you able to convince them to stay? Is there enough for them to stay? Uh, those are the real challenges, not just for Rick, but Kevin Shoveldayoff and, and ownership there have have a have, a, have an interesting situation. You know, the Winnipeg last year um, was such a disappointment in, in in so many levels. It started to reflect on the business side too, Bob. Um, you know, I I don't know how many times they sold out last year. It wasn't every game, you know, and that's a small arena in Winnipeg. Uh, we're corporate sponsorship. There's a concern there. This is a team that has to perform at a certain level to generate some f- interest and electricity in the city of Winnipeg, who I believe are, you know, knowledgeable hockey fans. Knowledge, they, know, they know what's going on every day with this hockey club. Well, it's you know, Rick's, go, Rick's, going for, Rick's going from Dallas to Winnipeg. That might be his biggest challenge. And Dallas... You were, you know, the, the, the small frog in the big pond. Now right. you now are the, big... the only frog and they may not even be a pond. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. how much different it will be for, 
for bonus and for the Jets. And that's one of the things that, as a player, you either love or hate. You either love or hate that. You want to be under the microscope every day. You want to be walking through the mall. You want to be going to a restaurant and being identified and being talked to every day. That's what that's what it's like in Winnipeg. Did Paul Maurice get fired or did he quit? Um, well, I, 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 I believe... I believe Paul was truthful in suggesting that they are not listening to me anymore. Well, and I think that I know, agreed. and I believe you're yeah. right. But the question and, and I, I asked is, I, I, did he get fired? Do you know? I, I think, uh, not, not officially, no. No, I don't officially Do you think know it was his idea, or do you think it was management's idea for him I to I think leave? he went to, well, I, what I was trying to say is, I think he went and said, listen, with it, because that that group of guys had such a great relationship. Paul probably went in one day and said, "You know what? They're not listening to it anymore." Everybody agreed and said, "Okay, it's time to make a change." <laughs> I I think that's how it happened, and I I think it was a relief for ownership and management for Paul to come in the room and say that, so that they could actually say, "Okay, let's move on," and and let's move on amicably, as let's move on professionally. And that's exactly what happened. Do you think Bonus will be able to undo whatever happened last year? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, you know, because he has a longer term contract than Dave Lowry did. Dave Lowry, that word interim, that word interim was is such an awful word when you're the head coach. Because, you know, what's, is Blake Wheeler going to listen to, Mark, to Dave Lowry or or, 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 or Mark Shafley going to listen to Dave Lowry when no, he, he doesn't likely. even know the future? Not no, likely. Not likely. So they've, they've handed the car keys to Rick Bonus. He's going to drive it, and hopefully the players listen. Well, and they made very few changes during the offseason. So basically uh, what you thought they were is what they are, and we'll, uh, we'll find out how it works under Rick Bonus. What's it for us? We got to get out of here. Have yourselves a uh, great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.